today's text, uh, we will be in the book of the prophet Joel, Joel chapter 2. And I have entitled this, um, I'll call it an exhortation more than a devotion. I've entitled this exhortation simply Revival Prayer, Revival Prayer. And just a little background to the text, not much is known about this prophet, uh, Joel. His name means Yahweh is God. And he wrote during the reign of King Joash, uh, about 835 to 796 BC, King of Judah. Uh, this prophecy has generated some measure of controversy. And uh, if you read the book, Joel chapter one begins with a devastating invasion of locusts. The prophet links this devastation of locusts to the disobedience of the people. It's a judgment against the nation. He likens it to a, an invasion of wild beast, of an invading army, uh, which brings total, total devastation to the land, total devastation. All vegetation is gone. There's so many locusts, it blacks out the sun. Perhaps the thing that the prophet Joel is, is best known for is his description and his prophecy of the day of the Lord. And Joel chapter 2 is the famous text that speaks of the day of the Lord. It uses the term a day of darkness, a day of gloominess. And he speaks of far and total devastation of God's judgment on that great day of the Lord. And we will be looking at chapter 2, but not within the prophetic significance of the day of the Lord, but at Joel's warning to the people knowing that the day of the Lord is coming. That's where the focus is. The day of the Lord is coming, and hence, here comes a warning. You know, we gather on this united prayer call for revival prayer. Some of us gather in our churches to pray, specifically that the Spirit of God descend upon us in all fullness to awaken us, to cause us to repent, to empower us to advance the gospel, and for the glory of the Lord to return. Tonight is Wednesday night. Wednesday night in my church is prayer night. On our prayer night, we come together to pray for revival. It's the only thing we're allowed to ask for. Our rest of our time is spent in worship and thankfulness and adoration of God. And Joel likewise makes a clear call to the people to return to the Lord and to return to the Lord specifically in light of the terrible judgment that is ahead of them on the day of the Lord. And hearts are broken and mourning for God. And we know a day of reckoning is coming, don't we? We certainly know a day of reckoning is current, coming. We actually are experiencing, I believe today, um, what we would call consequential wrath as we start to see our society falling out and what consequential wrath is, well, the wages of sin, they're paying their benefit, and we're seeing the death and the destruction that awaits them. But, you know, another day is coming, too, a day of judgment that the Lord is going to send. And for those of us that are saved, it's going to be a glorious day. But for those who aren't saved, it's going to be a miserable day. It's going to be a horrible day. And among those people, and I'll speak for me, and I'm sure I'm speaking for you as well, among those people are some of our family members some of our friends, some of our neighbors. 
that will stand before the Lord in judgment because of their rejection of Jesus Christ. Now the question that we need to ask ourselves, are we comforted by the mere theological facts associated with revival? Yeah, we want to see revival. That's, that's good. That's noble. But the other question we have to ask ourselves is, is our heart, are our hearts broken? Are our hearts burdened for those that are going to reject the gospel? Are we burdened for the glory of God, burdened for the church, burdened for the honor of the Lord's name? I would suggest to you as we look at our text today that the prophet Joel gives us a very clear picture of the heart of revival prayer. As we explore this text, it's my prayer that the Holy Spirit would speak to our hearts individually so that we would be encouraged to press on, to persevere with a more excellent pursuit in praying for revival. That's what my heart is. So I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to Joel chapter 2, and we're going to look specifically, we're going to start out looking at verses 12 and 13. Joel chapter 2, 12 and 13. And here we see the heart of revival prayer, and I'll read it. Therefore also now saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all of your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your heart, and not your garments, and turn unto the Lord your God. For he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repenteth him of the evil. Before these verses, we saw a terrible scene of judgment, a terrible scene of an invasion of locusts in chapter 1. And as I mentioned, Joel likens this invasion of locusts to an advancing army that's just coming in and, and ravishing the land and devastating the land. And he speaks of, in the beginning of chapter 2, a similar scenario in um, in, Revel in, in chapter 2. Perhaps these are the locusts invasion plague that is mentioned in, in John's revelation. Maybe this is an advancing army in the day of the coming day of the Lord, leaving devastation in, in its wake. What we do know is that because it is the day of the Lord, judgment is coming upon the land. But even in wrath, God remembers mercy. And the call goes out for repentance. And notice how Joel says, notice verse 12, Therefore also saith the Lord, turn ye even to me with all of your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. Amid this fury, a call of repentance goes to God's people. Turn ye. It's the call to repent, to turn from your sin, to turn from the indifference demonstrated toward God, to turn from the distraction of the shiny objects of the world and recognize that the Lord is near and turn to the Lord with all of your heart. I think one of the most, most devastating sins that is being exhibited in our culture today, and, and may I add, in the church, is indifference where the heart is not stirred, 
where the heart is not moved, where people don't have a genuine desire for God. They don't have a genuine desire for the gospel. Listen, revival prayer must be accompanied by repentance and not not just merely dry-eyed repentance that understands the meaning of the word, but tear-stained repentance that is moved in the heart. That is what is meant when Joel speaks of, of turning with all of your heart. There must be a burden for revival that transcends frequency and habit. There must be a burden for revival that transcends words, that is the spoken language of a heart panting after God. There must be a brokenness of heart. And Joel articulates this by saying, with all of your heart, and with fasting, and with weeping, and with mourning. Oh, church, do you realize that the true church of Jesus Christ is a reproach to the world? The church is hated in the world. In the Western nations, governments are doing everything they can to limit the church's autonomy and to limit the church's influence. Every day, millions of times a day, the name of Jesus Christ is used as a curse word. God's name is blasphemed. The word of God is mocked and it is ridiculed. Listen, we have influential false prophets abounding in the land, preaching blasphemous things. We cannot be okay with that. There is enough to mourn over, enough to weep over. There's no longer time for dry-eyed prayer, but for men and women to be on our knees, broken for these things. Look at verse 13, continuing this call. The prophet says, and rend your hearts and not your garments and turn unto the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. You know, Psalm 11.3, you don't have to turn there. Psalm 11.3, ask a question. The question that's asked in Psalm 11.3 is this, if the foundations are destroyed, what are the righteous to do? Joel answers that in verse 13. He tells us what the righteous are to do. He says that we're to rend our heart and not our garments and turn unto the Lord. To rend the garment was symbolic of repentance. But notice here, Joel says, forget about the symbolism. Rend your heart instead. Tear your heart to represent the repentance. We must pray with broken, mournful hearts, aching for the church and for our nations broken over our sin and the sin of the people of God. Daniel, the prophet, knew this. He knew this manner of praying. He writes in Daniel chapter 920, he writes this, and while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain 
of my God. Daniel had equated the sin of his people with himself. He was repenting on behalf of the people. He was broken as he saw his nation in captivity and falling away from the one true living God. What do we find in this manner of revival praying? We find God. Joel says of God, he is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and of great kindness and repenteth him of the evil. This is so much like the Lord as he identified himself to Moses. In Exodus 34, 6 and 7, he said, Hey, the Lord, Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. So the question becomes, what are we to do? The logical question is, as Joel calls Israel to gather, he calls them to gather for a solemn assembly. Look at verse 15 of chapter 2. Blow the trumpet in Zion, sanctify a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, sanctify the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, and those that suck the breast. In the Old Testament, a solemn assembly is a gathering of people in Israel for a sacred feast or a festival, or some kind of holy occasion. And a solemn assembly included a ritual purification or observing a state of holiness. It also included a fast in which all the people of the community were commanded to, to do no work. The solemn assembly, it was referred to at times as a sacred assembly and a solemn meeting. You know what? I liken this ministry of the United Prayer Call to a solemn assembly called by Joel. We gather to recognize the need and the impending judgment that looms over our nations and our churches. But we gather to cry out to the Lord. And I believe with all of my heart, I really do believe this, that our primary purpose, our primary objective of this call is for revival. And it's amazing how you're starting to see other groups sensing very much the very same need and, and scheduling various calls for that God's people would pray for revival. And that has been the objective, I believe, since day one of this call. But I also believe that we need to maintain focus on this objective in these 900 plus days we've been at it. We have an objective, but there's a second crucial piece. Do we have the burden? Do we carry the burden? It is one thing to want revival, but it is something else to be burdened for revival. Joel gives us a glimpse of what this burden looks like in verse 17. Joel writes, let the priests, the ministers of the Lord, weep between the porch and the altar. And let them say, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine inherit, uh, heritage to reproach, that the heathen should rule over them. Wherefore should they say among the people, where is their God? Joel tells us that 
The burden comes with weeping. The burden comes with pleading for the honor and the glory of God. The cry of the burden is this, spare thy people, O Lord, and give not thine inheritance to reproach. Don't let the heathen rule over us, nor should the heathen say, where is their God? The revival burden and the prayer cry is that God would not allow the heritage of the gospel, the heritage of faith in Christ, the glory of the church, and the glory of God for heathen governments and ungodly men to rule over, that the unbeliever would not be able to say, where is their God? Too much of that is already happening in the world today. And it is more than time for God to arise and his enemies to be scattered. So if we know the objection, the objective, and if we have the burden for revival, our hope and our confidence is that the Lord will be moved and that the Lord will indeed hear. Look at verse 18 of chapter 2. Then will the Lord be jealous for his land and pity his people. Oh, that God would hear our cries. Oh, that we would rend our hearts. Oh, that God would be jealous for his people again, for his church, for his gospel, and that God would pity his people again, and that God would restore the glory of Christ once again to his church, that God's people will be filled with the song of salvation and the power of the gospel, and that the Lamb that was slain would receive the reward of his suffering. May God be glorified. Amen.